Hello and welcome to Alone Together, the podcast that has been with you through the lockdown, answering your FAQs about the pandemic. And now in our second series, we are looking at what life will look like after lockdown in the so-called new normal. I'm Morvan McIntyre. And I'm Matt Millard. On today's episode, the arts and entertainment industries are in the spotlight after they were forced to switch off their spotlights under the coronavirus restrictions. Theatres, art centres, comedy clubs, music venues and other places of entertainment had to shut their doors in March. And for many, they have had to remain shut. And for some, they may sadly never open up again. Last month, when announcing the 1.57 billion rescue package, Prime Minister Boris Johnson called the arts the beating heart of the country. On Alone Together, we ask those working in the industry what needs to be done by the government to keep this beating heart ticking. Coming up, Gail Knight from the Civic Arts Centre and Theatre describes the challenges faced by a small grassroots theatre and how they may be overlooked. What can we do? You know, we, no, one's, no one is allowed to come to us. Uh, we can't uh, bring any income in. We, we have to close, walk home, go home and, and that's it. We're waiting now, really, to be told a more definite date or even something to work towards. And stand-up comedian Jack Gledo discusses how comics have been coping without paid gigs in lockdown. And I thought, right, I want to do like a live Saturday night entertainment show, but without a budget and without any expertise, really. So I kind of just set up this thing in my bedroom and then for the first six weeks of lockdown I basically wrote, produced, edited me on like half an hour content. And in our local hero segment I speak to restaurant owner Leila Gasabi who delivers hot meals to those most in need. And you know what it's been it's it's actually been a really it's been a really uplifting um, uh, thing to do. I think for everybody involved for for all the volunteers and you know and the fact that we kind of went out there and reached out to these people I think you know the charities as well are just really sort of grateful and we're and we're we're glad that we can help out. The lockdown has seen theatres close their curtains, switch off their lights and shut their doors. But can the show go on? Alone Together's Dan McLaughlin spoke to Gail Knight, creative director at Elswold Twistle's Civic Arts Centre and Theatre in East Lancashire, about what needs to be done to support grassroots theatres in our communities. Like most businesses and like most places uh, in the UK and indeed the world, the Civic has been hit by the COVID-19 and virus and the lockdown. Tell me about the day that the Civic had to shut its doors, um, hopefully temporarily. Yeah, I, it was around about, I think, the 19th of March, um, something like that. And the government had announced that people shouldn't go to theatres or pubs or clubs or restaurants. And so we called a team meeting and said, what can we do? You know, we no, one's, no one is allowed to come to us. Uh, we can't bring any income in we we have to close walk home go home and and that's it and of course at that point there was no mention of the furlough scheme or any anything else that was out there and so we all went home and it was awful it was sad we were all lost I think we were all confused what could we do and uh, it I've looked in my diary after that 
and it felt like an eternity, but it was actually only four days afterwards that they announced that there would be a furlough scheme and they hadn't announced the details of it, but that jobs would be able to be saved and things like that. And I can say it felt like an eternity at the time, but four days later, and, and it actually then started to look, well, do you know what, this this could work. And so we we kept everything to a bare minimum over the last five, six months with um, no, you know, the gas bill or electric bills, something like £6.40 a month because it's so, <laughs> there's no lights being switched on, no, no, nothing being used. And we've got the government grant that came through the council for the building, so that's uh, usable. And we also were lucky enough to get some of the Arts Council emergency fund that came out. So although for a very short period it looked horrendously bleak and then we would all be on universal credit or working at Tesco's or wherever, um, then it, it did slowly but surely sort of start to look more comfortable and more positive that we would reopen and we'd be able to start again at some point. What does it look like now in terms of reopening? Is there an ETA? We don't know. So in theory, we were planning or could have been planning to open on August the 1st. Uh, but we didn't because we kind of knew that that wasn't practical and sensible and the right thing to do at the time. So we're waiting now really to be told a more definite date or even something to work towards. We, we've we worked out that if we were to open now in the restrictions that they'd allowed for stage four, of the reopening roadmap, then we would have to reduce our 450-seat theatre down to 140 seats upstairs, and our studio space would be restricted from about 100 seats to 30 seats. So we're talking roughly a third. And we think that although short-term we could manage like that for a little while. Um, it, it obviously isn't viable long-term. It's not viable over Christmas particularly. So whilst in theory we could open now, we've, we're ready, we've got um, some cash in the bank from the, the various grants I've just said talked about, um, in actual reality it won't take as far. So we need to sort of have that next step in place after furlough ends at the end of October. Um, so the future is not not quite bright yet, but it's definitely more positive than we thought it could, it was. And uh, we're just waiting. There's so many variables now. We're just waiting for a little bit more clarity. You know, will we get some of that fund or will we uh, get told we're still in lockdown till the end of the year? Will we be able to open? You know, there's we need some sort of guidelines or um, more details, I think, at this stage. You, you briefly mentioned that, it, you know, it might not be viable at Christmas or so Christmas is a big 
um, important period for theatres across the UK. What's the importance of panto season for, for, for theatres? I think for us, and probably for the majority of theatres, panto season is a busy period. Uh, for, for most, it's before Christmas. For some, it's, it is the period after Christmas. But it basically is, it supports the first few months of the following year. You know, we make three times as much in December when our panto's on than any other month. And so that kind of keeps us going through January and February when it's traditionally very quiet months. Uh, So if we don't get that good Christmas, then, you know, it's potentially game over in January, February. So it's, it's, we have to either do it right and be able to do it as the proper uh, scale that we would normally do it at, or we either have to uh, scrap it completely almost and say, right, this, this, we don't want to lose money on it, so we'd better not, we'd better save money on it, if that makes sense. Um, so it's a huge part of our life. And it's also, and from the other point of view, it's sometimes the only theatre that some children ever see. It's the introduction for some people who are brought by their schools to see something that they, they their parents, uh, their families wouldn't ordinarily bring them to see you. And, and it's a happy experience of being in a theatre. And that can stay with children for a long time as that memory of something so positive and fun in a theatre. So it is it's important from lots of different perspectives. What does it take to uh, keep a theatre open in going to say this in inverted commas in normal times on a day-to-day basis what needs to happen to make sure the Civic keeps its doors open? The passion for it really is what what keeps us all going. I don't think it's possible to work in, a, in that kind of environment without having that that uh, passion for for what we do. You know, it's it's. Um, I think that's what keeps us going, really. And and so when we, um, you know, we go through bad times and things happen, or you know, like we make a loss on a show or, or anything like that or something happens that's that's not um nice and then the next day we'll get you know letters from people or you know support from people and and you know one of the things that's been lovely during lockdown is the number of people who have told us what it means to them and i think that's what what keeps us going on on that side of things, that drives us for emotionally to keep uh, it going. Financially, it's we just have to keep our head above water. Really, that's how we we operate. We're not for profit, so we just have to uh, each month try to make sure that there's enough in to cover everything that we need to cover. And you know, we don't. We're not there to be rich out of it. Uh, I always say to people who want to go into theatre or into the arts, 
you'll never be rich in the arts. It's uh, unless you, you know, the top of the absolute top of your game and, um, you know, you make it as a TV or film star. Um, Theatre is not going to make you rich. And, um, but it's, it's that passion that keeps us going. So it's, you know, we just have to make enough and keep going, really. So you, you described earlier that you've been given some sort of funding during, during this lockdown, but you've had to fundraise yourself. What have you been doing to raise those funds? Are they virtual events? Or are they something different? Well, in the early days of the lockdown, uh, we started writing quizzes that people could do at home on their own via Zoom or however they were doing it. And then uh, I started making masks because, you know, the face masks, which people have done. And we've done um, the football cards, just, I mean, anything, little bits, you know, it's all all um, just being put into the pot and we'll be able to use it afterwards. And then on a bigger scale, it's uh, funding, bid writing. Uh, we've got, you know, lots of bids in the pipeline. And, uh, you know, hopefully some of those will come through as well. In terms of this funding, do you uh, think that the smaller theatres like the Civic are being overlooked by um, the bigger theatres, maybe some of the city theatres rather than small town ones? Well, the funding information has said that they want to fund organisations of all sizes and that they want to make sure that grassroots is supported as well. So the initial outlook is that it's positive and that they will look after the, the large ones and the, the small ones because they're, they're equally important. And so I think really it's the proof will be in the pudding at the end of the day what happens and whether they do stick by that. At the moment, obviously, the larger ones are getting more media attention and there's been some massive ones closing. Um, and there's been, you know, Cameron McIntosh and uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber have been kind of um, talking about what's needed and, and hopefully, you know, and I hope they get some funding out of it too. But I just hope that at the end when, you know, they do make all the announcements as to who has been funded, it isn't just the big guys and that they do look after the smaller ones as well. And we won't know that now until the final decisions are made. Um, but I hope, I hope that they uh, have understood the principle that it, we need or all levels of theatre to be able to keep going. What should the government do to help grassroots theatres? If you had a message to give to, say, the Culture Secretary, Oliver Dalden, or the Prime Minister Boris Johnson, what would you say, what would you need from them? We need a few things. First of all, clarity as to when we can open. And we need to know uh, some sort of... Even if it's um, a little bit vague, but it's a, right, by January 1st, we want to do this and by that, we can start to plan, in other words. Um, we need them to support the smaller theatres, like we've just said. Uh, but what actually would, would secure us is an extension of the furlough scheme. And 
if there were certain sectors, and I'm not just talking necessarily about theatres in that sense, there are other leisure industries uh, that would, would benefit in the same way. If they extended the furlough scheme, then we would be comfortable. You know, we, we could then wait and see what else happens. Uh, but at the moment, what's happening is that we're looking towards the end of October, where we've got no guidance as to whether we can be open by then. And equally, we then fall off the cliff edge with the furlough scheme. So there's there's a few variables that they need to straighten out and and tell us as soon as they can. And finally, what do you think the future is for theatre and what the future is for the civic? I don't think you can stop creative people being creative. I think that's sort of ingrained in us. You know, you can... Um, you can close theatres, you can close art centres, but the people themselves can't help themselves but be creative. So I think whatever happens, there will be a way forward and there will be um, a resurgence of creativity at some point. Um, but how it, how it happens, when it happens, I, I don't know. Uh, the future of the civic itself is is on a knife edge but it's it's tilting slightly towards the positive so we we're just waiting to see and uh, we hope we'll be we'll we hope we'll be okay that was alone together's dan mclaughlin chatting to gail knight from the civic arts center and theater in lancashire the 1.57 billion pounds art rescue package from the government is certainly important but will it be enough to save our theaters what do you reckon morvan it sounds like a lot of money when you hear it like that, but it does have to be divided up across the country. So it's really hard to say. Um, and I think uh, one of the points that Gail was making was that, for example, during panto season, if they can't operate at full capacity, it's not worth them almost doing the show because that money then tides them over into January and February when they're quieter months. Uh, what do you reckon, Matt? I think that is that issue that you that you've said there about the capacity. Even if some of these venues can open, you know, those that are maybe larger and can accommodate social distancing in in the audiences and so on, it's it's really going to be those those smaller venues that that struggle that just can't get the footfall in to be able to make enough money to to make ends meet. So, I think it's definitely going to be a struggle even with the funding. But I, I really wish uh, the best for the industry, and I hope it manages to pull through. Although they ply their trade in jokes, there appears to be very little to laugh about for comedians at the moment. With live performances off the cards, working comics have been trying to find ways to continue their acts in lockdown. Stand-up comedian Jack Lido spoke to Dan McLaughlin about the challenges for the comedy scene and how comedy is often overlooked when it comes to the arts. For a lot of people in the entertainment industry, they describe the one day when the, the plug was sort of pulled, you know, where they can no longer do live performances. What happened to you that day? What happened to your gigs? Was it all of a sudden that everything was pulled? Yeah, it was. It's strange because we just. I was. I usually midweek. I, I usually come home like on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and that's kind of me relaxing day before I have like four or five days non-stop gigging. So I was kind of during that period when I came home, and then yeah, just got the word that oh. The gig on Friday is cancelled. The gig on Saturday is cancelled. 
I was like, all right, so might be off for a couple of weeks. And then throughout that week, it just got worse and worse. And then even as far as June at that point in March, I thought, June, really? That can't, can't be going on till June. So June started collapsing. Then July started collapsing. Then the Edinburgh Festival was cancelled. Then that's when I think, I thought, oh, this is going to be a long-term thing. And people were trying to get things back up and running, but I definitely, at that point, I thought, right, this is definitely a long-term, like, year thing that this is going to go on for, at least. How can a comedian survive without any gigs? How can you survive without a year of live performances? Myself, I mean, a lucky musician where I can uh, stay with parents and stuff, and there's the government support plans that, put in place in quite a good way um but which is which has helped me but i know a lot of friends and uh, other performers have been massively affected because some people live in this job mouth to gig so if they, they'll go get the money for that friday saturday night and that that'll literally feed them and the families that week so it, it is really hard uh, for some people and i know some people that started as professional comics uh just this year and then they wasn't able to access any funds because they obviously haven't gone through the tax system yet so yeah it it must have been really hard for some people uh, to just have that loss of income suddenly straight away and it massively affects like getting the bills at the end of the month so what stories have you been hearing from other comics and sort of what stories have you happened to yourself during lockdown what have you been doing to, to keep your comedy going well, quite a lot of comedians straight away just thought, right, let's move online. Let's just do something online. If that's the only way we can... I think a lot of it was, at first, I was like, right, what am I going to do for six weeks, which is what I thought it was at first. So I thought, right, I'll 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 do an online entertainment show every week. Because at the start, everyone, uh, a few com- a friend of mine, Scott Bennett, he started doing shows from his shed which was him doing like a live stream in his shed. Then uh, another comic, John Pearson, he started doing like live gigs with the comics doing it over Zoom, like a, a normal night, three acts with him hosting, but it all done over Zoom in like virtually. And that, that started to pick up and become a thing. And I thought, right, I want to do like a live Saturday night entertainment show, but without a budget and <laughs> without any expertise really so I kind of just set up this thing in my bedroom and then for the first six weeks of lockdown I basically wrote produced edited me on like half an hour content which was good because it kept me busy for the first six weeks but then kind of after it it was nice to just rest because what's kind of started is everyone so there was a few of us that did it straight away but then everyone started to make their own online content which is fantastic it's great that we could all do that but i think one of the things that happened with that was the market became quite huge so the loads of people were doing it and then you've still got like it's great that i can produce those, those content and that but then i'm competing with some of the best films and comedians on netflix so then i thought right i'll take a step back from that and kind of come at it when when there's less people doing it and then when I think I can do it bigger and to a better quality so it was nice to kind of just break away and just have some time off because when you're in this industry it is a bit non-stop and you're working working to build 
up and up and all the time. You, you, you're making sure you, you can work for that promoter so you can go up a level in, in your career. Then you're doing auditions, trying to get stuff seen by commissioners. So to have the pug pulled all of a sudden forced, it gives you that mental break, really, because it can get quite stressful. And in a way, I think that, that lockdown has been good for some people because I think some people get distressed that, oh, I haven't been doing anything online or I, I haven't made anything. And it doesn't matter because you don't, just because other people are making content doesn't mean you have to. It's okay to be like taking a break and relaxing from it, really. I think, I think people forget that as well. This time of the year would probably be the busiest time of the year for a lot of comedians because it would be it would be the Edinburgh Festival right now, wouldn't it? Yeah, a year ago now I was into my first um, like debut show at the festival, and I, I didn't at, at, at the point in March I didn't know if I was going to Edinburgh yet. But then uh, now now it's got to it, August. I'm like I'm definitely going next year. If in 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 what capacity I don't know yet because we don't know what. Uh, place it'll be but yeah Edinburgh every year is the congregation of every comedian basically that everyone just goes up d- does their own show that's that's kind of everyone's creative freedom and the people literally work year round for the festival and for for some companies that is their major and only income for the year they gain it just from the festival so they they would have lost a lot of money from that as well so it Comedy encapsulates a lot of industries, so it 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 doesn't seem that way. From you just think it's someone with a mic telling jokes or uh, someone playing an arena, but it encapsulates so much more. Which I think that's why it's important that to let people know that how affected this industry could be if it's not saved. There's been quite a few high-profile comedians talking about you know the importance of the Fringe Festival as well as the importance of the comedy clubs. Um, what needs to be done to help them? How important are comedy clubs? How important are they for the scene? Massively important. Without comedy clubs, comedians don't really have an income. I mean, that's where I kind of play every week and be it in specific built clubs or be rooms in venues, rooms in theatres. These, these are like the grassroots of what comedy is this is where everyone started every major comic started by doing an open mic in a pub then moving on to the clubs and i mean support wise money needs to kind of be given to these clubs so that they don't die really because if if you get rid of them there'll be nowhere for comics to kind of do their work i mean there is youtube and stuff but that isn't the same that's a different style of comedy as i found doing doing the show i did it's it's all well and good because it's you being creative but it's completely different to being in a room with a microphone to an audience do you feel that obviously there's been more government funding for the arts and for entertainment and that seems to be going towards you know the theatres but do you feel sort of comedy is being overlooked when it comes to this help yeah, definitely. But comedy is always overlooked. Like, Arts Council funding has never really supported much comedy in its history. It's always famously not been a massive supporter because it, it says that comedy can really support itself. But, I mean, this, the, the, the thing is, 
it's also I understand it from an aspect of going right. Where do we start? Where do we start to give the funding? And that I I obviously wouldn't know. But I think if you can just make certain comedy clubs survive, so that they don't have to worry about the bills and that they can afford to pay the act, special social distancing measures. And it, it's it's stuff like what happened on uh, last week with um, the they said on Friday, Friday new measures came in uh, in the Greater Manchester areas, but then in the morning they said comedy clubs can still open because. They, they did trials that week at the Fog and Bucket in Manchester to open. And they said, right, if that goes well, you can open on the Saturday night. So they, they were all set to go. And then within two hours, after two weeks of planning and uh, hard work, they just pulled the plug straight away. And I know I know that that is a health thing and that, that of course, it is for the good and they have to follow the government guidelines. But I think, yeah, to do it 24 hours before, after a lot of hard work and money's been pumped in, it's probably not great for venues. And looking in the future, you kind of need to go, right, just be honest and say, yeah, we don't think you're going to start till September, October, November, or whenever it is. Or just completely say, fresh start next year, which I personally think would be better to do that, because then at least you can aim towards something rather than... Obviously, there's a lot of money to pay for during that time period. But, yeah, it's just so difficult not... Because it's an ever-changing landscape with the virus because it changes every day, doesn't it? We we get news every day that's completely different. So it's like living in a weird, dystopian society. It's it's odd at times. It feels like you're in a Hollywood film. So what now for comedy? Um, can, Can it survive this pandemic? Yeah, I think it can, uh, but it, it'll be it's different because like a few people have always started like I I tried to start doing gigs in people's gardens and stuff, and that's becoming a thing across the country. And there's put things outdoors and talk of maybe secret illegal underground venues. Um, I think it will it will survive, but in what capacity? I don't know. I mean, I certainly think I'll be involved with it. Um, and I still want it to be my job. It was my dream job anyway. Um, I, I think, in a way, I think it might be a good thing and revert to back to like the the eighties, early noughties, early nineties type period. That that was a wrong sentence. I basically say hey, back to thirty, forty, fifty. I'd just give you loads of dates. What I mean was like where it was like a new thing and it was bubbling and it was exciting and. Back to that period, and I think maybe not as many people will do it, but maybe that's not a bad thing because it, it it'll if we can get get better and better and slowly build it up again to a point where it can be thriving as it was. But then I think we've got to start from the bottom up basically, start slow, build, 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 and then ultimately that'll help and affect everybody. Did that make sense? Because it didn't in my head, and I'm the one saying it. It made absolute sense, don't worry. Just your <laughs> mental arithmetic was off, but that was the only thing. <laughs> um, if people could want to check out your work, in particular your internet show that you've done during the lockdown, which is called Jack's Night In, how can they check it out? They can uh, follow me on uh, Twitter, Facebook, uh, everything. Uh, and uh, on YouTube, is on Facebook is where I'm sure. So it's Jack Ledo and Jack Ledo Comedy. People have trouble with that name. It's G-L-E-A, G-L-E-A, even I can't say it. I'm having trouble with it. There we go. That's how bad it is. Uh, G-L-E-A-D-O-W. That's how you spell Gledo. 
God, I, I've not, I've not, I've, I've not uh, prepared for this, have I? I can't even prepare my own name. I've not done mathematics. I mean, that's that's what lockdown does to you, Dan. It, it just makes you forget everything. It, no, you told me this morning that I, I was a comedian. I'd forgot. It's been that long. I forgot that was my job. I'm glad someone reminded me. I was in my bedroom going, now I know I used to do something. <laughs> well, don't worry, the next test will be a physics test. We might as well get the whole three <laughs> of the course subjects in. Um, is there anything you'd like to add, Jack? No, I think that's great. I think uh, just everyone just be be safe and follow the rules as much as they can. And I think we're all in this together. I know it's a bit of a cliche to say that, but as long as we kind of stay positive, as positive as you can, it's okay to kind of be upset sometimes and sad that you're not seeing family and friends. But we're going to get to a place where everything is going to be all right again. And we can we can have the biggest parties, we can have the best gigs, we can all have a laugh again one day. So let's just hold out hope, not rush too quickly into that. And when we can have a big laugh and a big giggle, it's going to be fantastic. Stand-up comedian Jack Gledo speaking to Alone Together's Dan McLaughlin there. And don't forget to check out Jack's show, Jack's Night In, which was produced during lockdown. The arts have been hit hard like many industries during the lockdown. And uh, now, Matt, I know you're involved in the music scene in Birmingham. Uh, I bet it's been a very similar case. Well, yeah. I mean, th- there's been no live shows in the city or any city, in fact, since this all began uh, many months ago. And as the the value of record sales has decreased over recent years, musicians really do rely upon live shows as a means of income through ticket sales and merchandise. And likewise, the venues uh, that host these grassroots gigs you, they they rely on the footfall from these shows to survive. So it really is a worrying time for the music industry. And, you know, these are the venues where musicians learn and, and perfect their craft. We hope to visit this topic again in a little bit more detail in the, on a future episode of the show. So if, if you're a musician, a promoter, involved with a venue uh, within the music industry, do get in touch with us. Next up, we have our local hero section. This week, it's an Edinburgh-based restaurant providing hot meals for those most in need. I spoke to the owner of restaurant Maison Blue, Leila Gasabi, who has been working with a variety of charities to provide this essential service. The initiative funded by software company Petroleum Experts has been running since June. So hi, Leila, how are you? I am very well, thank you. Thanks Thanks a lot for having me on the show. So um, can you tell us why you first started to get involved with supplying uh, hot meals for children, you know, where you approached, how did you first get word of it and how did you start doing it? Well, um, <clears throat> when lockdown sort of happened um, back in, in March, obviously we all had to kind of close our doors. Uh, I think, you know, everybody was kind of in a very sort of stressful, it was a very stressful situation. So basically we were, you know, just thinking of a way that we could support people um, in this really difficult time. And um, it was um, it was something, in fact, that um, a company called Petroleum Experts, who are um, very good friends of ours and are also like you know one of our biggest clients they um they they do a lot of charitable work as well and um they um as soon as the lockdown sort of happened um we kind of came together they came to us and they were just like you know we really want to do something give something back 
to, to the community and it's obviously going to be a really difficult time for everyone so uh, they, they, they basically they approached us with it we were like absolutely um, the kitchen's going to be closed anyway um, uh, it's obviously a very very stressful time for a lot of families and they they wanted to fund um, basically a charitable initiative and we you know the kitchen's closed anyway I approached a few charities and some came back children first came back immediately and that was one of I had done a little bit of training for parent line a little little while back I've got a few friends that volunteer for them as well and I know they're a great charity in Edinburgh and, um, and you know they were very very keen they had said that they basically had a massive surge in calls to parent line since the lockdown um, lots of people could literally not couldn't afford to put food on the table for their children so they, they went ahead and said yeah absolutely we would really 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 benefit from that and um, and so we, we we got started. So basically, petroleum experts were funding it, and we were actually producing the food. You mentioned children first there, and um, but you've also been involved with other charities like Streetworks and Clasp. So can you tell me a bit about how your production works in for these meals? Have you had to ask staff to help out? Um, yeah, just basically how many people are required to do this sort of thing? Yeah, so basically, so we've got um, a, so Streetworks as well came back and they, they're actually, what they're doing is they're homing, during lockdown, they're homing a lot of um, homeless people in in, uh, in hotels who have kindly kind of opened their doors. It's just to kind of get people off the street and stop spreading the virus, to stop, you know, stop the spread of the virus. And um, and uh, they've got quite a lot of restaurants around Edinburgh helping with that. And so we were like, absolutely, we'd, we'd like to get involved in that too. So we're producing 100 meals for them a week or, as well. Um, and um, uh, basically, yeah, obviously it was it was it was also quite a, a, a you know it's quite a good thing for us to kind of keep active and kind of you know and keep open up the kitchens again and just kind of open up that line of communication with suppliers and things like that too. So uh, obviously the charitable element is the most kind of you know that was at the forefront of our minds. But it was it was nice to to get you know a couple of our chefs were re- really kindly kind of volunteer to come in and help a couple of days a week to do this three three days a week. Um, children first. Come come and pick up uh, their meals and they pick them up for for two days so um basically they'll pick up we'll have the chefs in on a say on a sunday and um, for a few hours and they'll make meals for monday and tuesday then on wednesday then meals will get picked up on a monday a wednesday and a friday so it's basically meals for the whole week and then on a friday i deliver um um uh, meals over to one of the um uh, one of the well the street works hub down at the cowgate and they just have them in sort of large trays um and um it's always kind of kind of like hearty homely foods that people would really um appreciate at this time as well um and yeah and 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 with with clasp um yeah with clasp what they do is they have uh, emergency what they call emergency packages um uh basically like kind of care packages um so what we 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 give them 50 meals a week to, for for families to basically freeze and kind of bring out whenever they kind of you know when, whenever they need them so so yeah i mean i would be i would love to help some more people as well but <laughs> i think um yeah we're kind of like um you know we're we're, we're trying to do as, as as much as we can for you know for 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 the people who need it so and uh, you've now supplied over 3,500 meals for city children in Edinburgh and also you know in, that includes the street works as well which is the other charity you mentioned um so that's a lot of meals have you just surprised yourself then about the quantity of meals that you've actually managed to deliver in this period because you started the first of June so you know that's a lot of meals since June yeah, it really is, and um, and you know what? It's been it's it's actually been a really it's 
been a really uplifting um, uh, thing to do. I think for everybody involved, for for all the volunteers, and you know, and the fact that we kind of went out there and reached out to these people. I think you know the charities as well are just really sort of grateful, and we're and we're we're glad that we can help out. Um, but yeah, I mean the amount of um, the amount of meals we managed to produce is actually crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean it's it, it, we've we've got a kind of like a production line sort of you know the way we do things now and. Um, you know, it's kind of I try and do. You know, I'm going to the cash and carry every few days and stuff. And uh, our suppliers are being really, um, really helpful in that they're giving us kind of uh, good prices and stuff like that with for the food because they know it's for charity. Um, and yeah, and everybody's it just it's just a really uplifting thing, you know, to kind of, you know, come into you know at, at the restaurant to be in the restaurant on a Monday or Wednesday. You know, when the pickups happen and you're helping people get the things into the car. You know, obviously social distance. And all that kind of stuff as well but it's yeah it's um it's it's been it's been a lot of work but it's been really rewarding work um and and also um you know it's at the end of the day a lot of people kind of sitting at home twiddling their thumbs and I'm just grateful that we can you know people you know that we're we're here and we're active and the restaurant doors are open and the kitchen's open and that we're doing something worthwhile so food's one of those things that people will always appreciate it's like you mentioned nice hot meals and one of the things that you did was uh, kind of adapt so your traditional menu is Mediterranean but you've adapted that a bit to suit children's taste so can you tell me a bit more about that oh yeah absolutely I mean there's things like I mean there's things on the menu that we wouldn't normally um um uh, sort of uh you know serve serve to the kids but, but I mean we've we've tried one of the uh our Friday meal that we do um we try and kind of vary it a little bit but our Friday meal that we do is a, a really nice um uh, almost like a beef bourguignon so it's like a, a, a beef stew which is something that we that we normally have on the menu but we we're trying to put some greens in there as well some of their five a day so there's always there's always greens in any single dish that we make there's always greens and carrots and things like that in there so uh, nice and healthy for them um yeah and also we do kind of kiddie friendly things like lasagna which we normally wouldn't serve in the restaurant but um but you know we you know they they absolutely love it like on a Monday it's a it's you know it's it's, it's a lasagna which is always kind of a you know a winner if you like. And what has the reaction been like so far? I mean, I, like you said there that um, was it your suppliers were giving you better rates almost for food and stuff because they know yeah. that obviously it's for charity and as well you know has there been a, like there must have been a lot of positive support for the fact that you've been doing all this stuff. People have been really, really positive. I mean, we haven't been very active on social media about it uh, because really it's not kind of a, about that really for us. It's more about, um, you know, kind of quietly doing something in the in the background and, and you know, and basically helping helping people that need it. But obviously recently we've had an article out, so that's kind of been shared on social media. And, and, and you know, and the, 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 um, uh, the response has been amazing. So we're really... It's it's kind of heartwarming to see to see all the support and um and for people to kind of acknowledge um acknowledge that we're doing we're giving something back so yeah that's that's been really lovely. Well, thank you very much, Leila, for your time today. It's yeah. been great to hear about all the amazing work you've been doing, and I'm sure it's greatly appreciated by the community that you're able to supply all these hot meals for people who really need it in this tough time. Thank you so much for having me. That was owner of Maize in Blue, Leila Gasabi, speaking to me earlier about her restaurant service of providing hot meals over the lockdown. Another inspirational story there from our local hero this week. So do you know of any local heroes that deserve recognition? Do you have any positive stories that have come out of the lockdown? Do get in touch with me, Dan and Morvin by following Laudable on Twitter, where we are at Laudable Pods, or by searching for Laudable underscore podcasts on Instagram. 
That's all we've got time for on Alone Together. So thank you to our guests and thank you to you for listening to our podcast. So stay safe, stay positive, stay informed and stay tuned. This has been a laudable production from the newsrooms of Birmingham Live, the Edinburgh Evening News and the Manchester Evening News. You can download Alone Together wherever you listen to your podcasts, but for exclusive, interactive, immersive content, download the entire app for iOS and Android. See you next time.